the reality you're going through can be very limiting, can be very much a struggle, but you've created it. So anybody who thinks that this is just the cards I've been dealt is buying into a limitation. Mm -hmm. I remember I saw the actor Morgan Freeman on TV. And it was a short clip that I just stumbled across. It was so brilliant because he was talking about it does not matter who you are and where you were born. And it's very easy for people to go and blame their circumstances, blame their environment, blame their parents. And he basically and very bluntly said, man, the bus leaves town every day, meaning you can escape whatever the hell you think your prison is. So I have a tough love approach sometimes, mostly because I've been through this. And sometimes I think people need jarred or shocked. And I just say, no, you're giving in to what you believe are the limitations. And the limitations are a mirage. They're an illusion. They're not real. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring match Welcome to the show, everyone. Episode number 231 right here on the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie. You just caught a quick glimpse into the conversation, the very transformative, the very powerful, the very deep conversation. And I'm going to emphasize that word deep because things are getting deep. We're talking about some potentially quote unquote air quotes, by the way, controversial topics, maybe things that are unproven, but things that I'm sure you believe in too. And that's exactly why we have these conversations. We're joined today by Dr. Joe Vitale, a globally famous author, marketing guru, movie, TV, and radio personality, musician, and one of the top 50 inspirational speakers in the world. I'm sure you've seen Dr. Vitale in his co-starring role in the movie The Secret, you know, the movie that's all about the law of attraction. The only thing is Dr. Vitale discovered that there is a missing secret that was not revealed in the movie. So you want to know what? He's revealing it here today on Decoding Success. And that is exactly what we do as a podcast. We bring you the secrets. We bring you the insider information. We give you all of the good stuff to help you level up in all areas of your life. And we're also going to be talking about clearing the subconscious mind of the limiting beliefs that we all seem to have based on our programming, based on our conditioning. The list goes on. This is a conversation that I'm going to urge you to make sure you're amplifying to the people that are in your life, whether that is through word of mouth, on your Instagram story, Twitter feed, text messages, emails, however and to whoever. This right here is a conversation that we're so stoked and so amped up to have you a part of because I know personally, and I'm speaking truly from my heart, this is a conversation I absolutely loved to have. Really excited to have you rocking with us here. And without further ado, we're bringing to you our friend, Dr. Joe Vitale. Dr. Joe, welcome to Decoding Success. Very excited to have you here today. Your body of work is absolutely incredible. So thank you for joining us. Of course. Been looking forward to this moment. Awesome. Now, I, I want to actually kick this off with something that I heard you say was your job on our friend, mutual friend, Brian Rose's show. I believe this was in 2018. You said that your job is to help awaken people. First mm -hmm. and foremost, I want to understand what does that mean to you? 
We want to awaken from our limitations, from the trances that we're walking around in. We all have different trances based on our belief systems. Our belief systems are our mindset and our paradigm. Almost all of them are going to be of lack and limitation, of scarcity and struggle. And most of us don't know that there's an alternative. Most of us don't know that we can break free. So I'm going to carry that cross and help people break free because that's what I've been doing with myself. Mm. I was going to ask, I mean, you kind of beat me to it in a sense, but <laughs> what awakened you? Well, I'm still awakening, so okay. I don't know that I'm actually awakened, but I'm certainly at a different place in terms of expanded consciousness than I was when I was homeless. I was homeless in the Dallas, Texas area way back in the 1970s. I was in poverty for 10 years when I was in Houston. I know what it's like to live from the darkness, from the scarcity, from the worry, from the concern, from the lack of faith, from the doubt, from the struggle. I know all of that. But during all of that, I was always working on myself. I was reading all the self-help books when I was homeless. I lived in the Dallas Public Library, which was a blessing and a curse. But because I loved the books so much that that was home for me. And I read and devoured all these books that were helping me awaken. And what was I awakening to? How the mind was creating reality. It was a slow process for me to understand it because we didn't have the internet. There weren't people doing podcasts. We didn't have any of that. And I was by myself, no coach. The only coaches I heard of back then were little league coaches and football coaches. So as I did the solitary evolutionary journey, I had moments of satori's, moments of awakening. And they kept stretching me to the point where, you know, I'm here today living the lifestyle of the rich and famous and getting to do cool things like talk to you. I love that. Now, you mentioned moments, but was there a specific moment or pivot point where like things like really started a shift? Maybe something you read in one of those books or a conversation? What's well, a great question. There's actually been several and they still happen because right. I'm still growing. I'm still expanding. I'm still awakening. One of the big turning points for me was when I realized with almost an electrical shock to my brain that I had created my homelessness because I had an unconscious belief that I needed to go through that kind of struggle and tragedy in order to earn the right to be successful. That was based on a belief that a lot of creative people have. And that belief is you have to struggle before you can succeed. It was even worse in my case because I was modeling my life unconsciously. Remember, I didn't intend to do this. I didn't consciously say, hey, I'm going to make myself struggle and go homeless. But unconsciously, I was admiring Jack London, who wrote Call of the Wild and White Fang and 50 other books. I loved his writing and I loved his, his lifestyle. But he was self-destructive and alcoholic, and he was dead by the age of 40 as a suicide. And the other person I was admiring was Ernest Hemingway, who was another great American author and wrote classics of American literature. But my mistake was modeling their lifestyle when I should have just modeled their writing style because Ernest Hemingway was alcoholic and abusive and aborted in his behavior, and he ended as a suicide. I was heading in that direction until some of the books I was reading, like The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol, pointed out that I was creating my life from my beliefs. And when you first hear that, it's like, yeah, that doesn't quite make sense because you think consciously, I, I don't really believe these things. But unconsciously, and this is the playground we have to go to, unconsciously, we have a lot of beliefs that could not really be serving us 
because they've been installed by somebody else. We absorbed them before we were aware and we started living from them. So to answer your questions, realizing that I thought I had to struggle and have this dramatic life like Jack London and Ernest Hemingway before I could be a success was a limiting belief. And as soon as I dropped it and said, wait a minute, maybe there's some authors that are healthy and well-adjusted and profitable and prolific and happy and healthy, maybe I should follow them. And when I looked for those guys and started to model them, life did get better slowly. I was still doing it by myself, but it got better. Now, you raise a really interesting point, something that I resonate with, and I'm sure many people that tune into the show do as well. You mentioned that there was a lack of detachment from the work you admired to the life of said people that you looked up to. So what would you do differently and or what advice would you give to someone that's listening to this to detach from maybe the writing style that you admired or you know, the entrepreneurial journey that you admired versus you know, the destructive path that these people were potentially on? I think I'd bring it more home than even that. I love where you're going with it, but I want to be of the most value to people. So let's cut to the chase and go right to the bone here. And what I invite people to do is to look at what they're going through in their life. And no doubt there's something that's a struggle. Everybody's going through something. I wrote a song that's called that a long time ago. That's been very popular because it's the insight that we're all struggling in some way, shape, or form. We all have different storms that we're in, but we all have a storm of some sort. We've either been in one, we're in one, or we're about to go into one. And what I advise people to do is to look at how they may have co-created that experience. Now, this is a biggie because it's it's asking people to take total responsibility. If you're sitting there and going, well, I didn't create homelessness, or I didn't create uh, being laid off from work, or I didn't create being divorced, or I didn't create betrayal, then we've severed some of our own power. We need to take responsibility for this. We need to awaken to the reality that in some way, shape, or form, we are co-creating our reality. I don't go as far as to say we create all of it because we have a playground here. And there's other people on the playing field. These other people mix with our energies and together we co-create our reality. But part of us is attracting those other players. And this attraction is coming from our belief system. So here's my tough love approach. I tell people, you've got to look at your role in creating the struggle you're currently in. As soon as you can look at that and start to say, what might I be believing? unconsciously, you know, you're not walking around thinking I'm going to be betrayed or I'm going to be in a divorce or I'm going to be hurt or I'm going to lose money. That's not what you're thinking consciously, but subconsciously, there is a web of programming that you've inherited in part from a wide variety of sources. And you want to awaken to what that programming is, because as soon as you do, much like me, homeless, looking at Jack Lennon and Ernest Hemingway, now you're at choice. And you can ask yourself, do I want to continue believing this or might I want to replace the limiting beliefs that are causing me harm with beliefs that are empowering me? So this is an exercise in self-discovery. This is an exercise in self-awakening, but this is where it all begins. And this is the kind of work we have to do if we want to have, do, and be more. Agreed. That's very important. Uh, Out of curiosity, we talk about co-creation. Obviously, other people are a factor in this, but is there anything more to it? Is there, do you believe in potentially, you know, all of us having our each individual divine plan? Is there anything else? 
No, there's plenty. <laughs> I love your questions there and you're digging for more, which I admire. Yes, there is a lot more. Yes, we all have a divine plan. We all have a mission. I look at it as a life calling. And again, this is the inner work we have to do. We have to look inside of ourselves and probe to find out what is my piece of the puzzle? Meaning, I once gave a talk, this was decades ago in Houston, and I walked on stage and I had a jigsaw puzzle. And I opened the box and I passed out pieces to everybody in the room. And it was a fairly small crowd. And so 200 pieces, everybody got a piece. And then I asked them to look at the piece. As they were looking at their piece, it made no sense because they're looking at a piece of a puzzle, but they don't have the end result. They don't know what the overall image is. But if they walked up, with their piece of the puzzle and laid it on the table and everybody one by one walked up with their piece of the puzzle, it all came together. And there was a beautiful painting. There was a beautiful piece of art there. That's life. That is the symbol. That's the representation. You have a piece of the puzzle. I have a piece of the puzzle. Everybody on the planet has a piece of the puzzle. When we all play our instrument, so to speak, we all walk up and place our piece of the puzzle on the table. That's when life works. I love that. So I totally agree that we each have a life mission, life calling. And I just, I I warn people not to think that it's a gigantic life mission. I mean, it may not be your role to cure the coronavirus or cancer. If it is your role, please step up and get it done. But if it isn't your role, but you're going to make the best cupcakes in the neighborhood, then go make the best cupcakes in the neighborhood. Each one of us has a piece of the puzzle. So one thing that I always get curious about is What happens if we don't necessarily accept our divine plan? So for instance, right? what what happens if we have the desire to pursue the cure to coronavirus, the cure to cancer, but you know, we, we face resistance on that path. And maybe our, like you said, maybe our divine plan is for us to make the best cupcakes in the neighborhood. What do we do in that, in in that type of uh, experience? You have free will. You have free will, which means you can say no. I personally believe that if you say no to your life mission, that you will have a rocky road through life, that things will not be as smooth. They will not be as easy. You will not be as healthy. You will not be as happy. And more than that, you will disrupt the jigsaw puzzle of life. The entire orchestra will not be able to play because an instrument won't be there or an instrument will be out of tune. But the way life has been set up, you have free will and free will is the ability to say no. So I found early on that I loved writing and I began to feel that it's my mission to write things that inspire people. In the beginning, I would have used the words I wanted to inspire or I wanted to write things that made people happy because I looked around and I thought people weren't happy and I wasn't happy at that time. As time went on, I thought, no, my mission is to inspire people. And I do it through music. I've recorded 15 albums. I've done it through books. I've I've written 80 books. I've done it through movies. I'm in 20 some movies. I've done it through online products and you know, I can go on and on and on, but I could have said no. Now, what kind of life would I have had had I said no? First of all, we, we don't really know. But second of all, I think I would have had moment by moment frustration because throughout whatever I decided to do, there would have been a part of me that would have been dissatisfied. And that's probably a very weak word. I know that I worked for a large oil company way back in the 1980s, and I cried going to work and I cried coming home from work. I was phenomenally unhappy. 
I could have said no to my writing. And for a while I did. I thought, well, I'm going to stay with, with security. I'm going to stay with the oil company. I'm going to stay with at least a dependable, barely get by kind of paycheck, but at least that's survival. But I wasn't happy. And I think if I had maintained that, I would have, I wouldn't be here now. I would have been dead. You know, I probably would have, <laughs> who knows what I would have done. The whole point is you do have free will. It's just to me wiser to say yes to what the impulse is coming from the universe, from the divine, from God, whatever we want to say it's coming from. Do you think the world would have more peace, harmony, whatever you want to call it, if everyone, 8 billion plus people on this planet decided to buy into that divine plan? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I believe that's where peace and prosperity happens to be. I believe that it's not happening because so many of us are acting from fear and insecurity and doubt and not following our particular mission. Right. And of course, I can be absolutely wrong. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to project what 8 billion people would be like if we all were doing our life mission. How the hell do I know? <laughs> but it, it, in my philosophy, it is at least comforting for me to think, you know, if people followed their life mission, I don't think their life mission would be killing and raping and robbery. I think their life mission would be more benevolent. I think their life mission would be in the vicinity of building things, creating things, helping people, sharing things, acting more from kindness and generosity. It seems to me that if we were all acting from our life mission, that there would be a sense of love behind it. So from that extrapolation, I would say, yeah, the world would work. So let me ask you this. I've, I've never asked this. I've maybe asked it in different ways. I'm curious to hear your response, but is everyone meant to be awakened? I believe yes. I believe that life is all about awakening. We are here to awaken. Depending on how deep you want to go with this conversation, I feel that we are spiritual beings who decided to choose amnesia to inherit a physical body, go through the physical experience of being here on the material plane, 3D reality. And as we go through it, our challenge is to awaken to the game that we started ourselves. We want to awaken to the reality, if you will, that we are spiritual beings and we created theater. We created theaters. We took on a role as an actor or actress in this play called Life. And as we go through the stages of our lives, at some point, if we are profoundly lucky, we have something that triggers us and we awaken and go, oh, yeah, I decided to be here because I wanted to experience being a king or a queen or a homeless person or an author or a podcast interviewer. And then we awaken and go, oh, yeah, that's what it's all about. And at that point, you can still play your role, but you do it with incredible freedom, detachment, and happiness because you you awaken to the game. It's like the greatest trivia game of all time. <laughs> we, we just set up a, a way to have fun and forget that we did it until we remember that we did it. And then when we remember, we kind of won. And then we just kind of hang out. And, well, since we're here, let's continue having fun. All right. So I appreciate this perspective. I, I want to go down this a little bit more. So basically what you're saying is that we've made a choice to be here before we were actually born. Yes. Is that soul talk? What, what kind of talk is that? Well, it's got to be soul talk because okay. you, know, you and I weren't hanging out before we were born, not in physical form, but we might've been hanging out in spiritual form, astral form. And of course, we're talking about a playing field that nobody can 
you know, he proved me right, proved me wrong. This is my philosophy. Right. I'm saying that before we got here, we were these invisible spirit forms and we chose to come here. We even chose our parents and said, we're going to take those two. We probably even chose our struggles saying, you know what, I'm going to go through homelessness. And as much as I'm not going to like it, it's going to help me to awaken a little later. And boy, I'm going to have some great stories to tell. And my being homeless is actually going to be leveraged to inspire people who are struggling to go on and have even more fantastic lives. So I'm going to go ahead and set that up. I'll sign up for that. Now, sitting here, or if you had asked me during the homeless years, I would have thought, I probably would have decked you if you had said that. It's like, I would have punched you in the face. It's like, you have no compassion. You have no understanding. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I'm starving. And of course, now I'd look at it and go, oh yeah, I probably set that up. So the, I want to bring up something interesting that I heard recently. I'm sure you're familiar with Mike Tyson, the, the former boxer. I know Mike Tyson. Yes. Yeah, of course. Of course. He yeah. brought it up on a podcast recently. He was on a podcast called Full Send Podcast. And, you know, Mike does all of his psychedelics and all of that good stuff. And he had mentioned in that conversation that there is research that I, I don't know how many people participated in it, but after they you know, left their physical form, their bodies were reweighed and each body was 13 ounces less. Uh, and the research is, you know, that that's supportive research to say like the soul has left the body. Have, are, are you aware of that or am I just bringing this up? I'm not aware of that particular research, but you know, right. when I was a kid, and you're talking about a teenager, and I was really exploring metaphysics when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I was also a member of the ESP Laboratory. Okay. The ESP Laboratory was run by Al Manning in Dallas, Texas. And I don't know what it cost, but I had a little card. In fact, I still have it. It's in my scrapbook. I have my membership card. And he used to channel Professor, Professor Reinhardt, I think. God, I'm remembering back from decades ago. And he had said... Al Manning had said when he astrally left his body at night, he weighed about four ounces less than when he was astrally in his body. So I'm not familiar with the Mike Tyson thing, but it, it rings true if you go with what I was listening to decades ago, that the astral body actually weighs something. And here's one other thought that's just occurring to me. I'm a big fan of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And one of his daughters was beside a family member who died and they were beside the family member. And as the, the member died, they saw, they recorded in their diaries, they saw the spirit leave. Mm. And I always remembered that scene is because these girls, there was nobody pumping metaphysical thought into their head. There were no tabloids at the time. There was none of that research saying the astral body weighs such and such four ounces with Al Manning and 13 ounces with Mike Tyson. But here we we have firsthand experience of somebody in the 1800s going, I saw the spirit leave. So I don't, you know, Mike Tyson is a fascinating guy, but I, I don't particularly know that research. No. Yeah. That's incredible how, you know, I, I love this stuff. I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Out of curiosity, do you think that our souls continuously find new life? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, at one point, I thought so. I think my current way of looking at this is if you are not awakened, when you get to the point of passing, you will come back. You will come back because the game is still on. You didn't get to the finish line where you realize, oh yeah, I put on this costume and this is the theater I chose. And because of that, you're going to continue. You're going to go to the next level and come back and continue the game until 
you awaken. My further philosophy is once you awaken, you get to hang around for a few months and enjoy yourself. But most of the time you're taken out. Mm. Most of the time you die. I've seen this with people you know, I regarded David Hawkins as somebody who was awakened. He wrote Power Worth versus Force and a whole lot of other books. Definitely worth reading and checking out. Wonderful little impish kind of a guy that seemed to be enlightened to me. He didn't get to hang around very long after his enlightenment. He got to do a few things, experience a few things, and then, you know, he's dead. Right. I think you're pulled out of the game. <laughs> so it depends on where you're at. If you are awakened, probably going to leave. If you're not awakened, you're probably coming back. Do you feel like your soul is coming back after this life? Because obviously you've gotten yourself to a point, you know, where you are now, where, I mean, with all the work you've done, obviously you said, and you've, you know, credited, you know, that you're still working on yourself and, you know, right. you're still here. So obviously that's a journey. You think your soul's coming back after this one? <laughs> I love your questions. You're, you're so heartfelt and raw in many ways. I would say at this point, as much work as I've done on myself, I don't feel totally awakened. I would say, yeah, I'm coming back. Okay. A unless there's some sort of switch, turning point, aha, uh -huh, or maybe even acceptance. Maybe that's the word that I I need to wrestle with a little bit because I think there's a part of me that feels like I should feel differently if I'm awake. And maybe that's a limiting belief. Maybe when I realize, no, how you're feeling it is exactly how an awakened person feels, then I would go, oh, okay, I'm there. Then right. kiss me goodbye because I'm leaving in a few months. Right. Now, I like this conversation, you know, Joe, because ultimately, I had my soul read once by Sonia Choquette. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. Oh, I know her well, yes. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And listen, I grew up Roman Catholic, right? So this is not necessarily like against my religion, but right. ultimately it's kind of like against what I've grown up in, in a sense. But after uh, having my soul read by her, she really brought to life the idea that my soul has potentially traveled through many lifetimes, right? You know, just based off what she was saying, how much I love to teach. I was a, a salesman in the past. I was a teacher in the past. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? Like, I'm not teaching right this second. I'm potentially teaching through your words right here on this podcast. So things just clicked, you know? So conversations like this are, are, are really, really powerful. But circling well, let me back. Say, go ahead. Can yeah, I say absolutely. something about that? Please, please. I would say that she's absolutely correct because you've been going, much like me and everybody listening, have been going through journeys over lifetimes in our pursuit of awakening. The game began a long time ago. And because we didn't awaken during the previous lifetimes, we kept coming in and going out and coming back. And so here we are at this point in time. And, and this might be the last one. This might be the one where we're going to go back and we'll write our autobiography on the other side and say, here's what I went through. It <laughs> wasn't that cool. So I can see that she could tell you that you went through a lot of adventures and a lot of personalities in a lot of lifetimes. It was all in the pursuit of the game. And the game right. is to awaken. The winning is to awaken. And when we awaken, eh, game over. Right. I love this. I love this. I, I want to bring it back to where we are now. You had mentioned something earlier and you potentially revealed the answer, but just to be clear on it, you were talking about in the process of co-creation, right? A lot of things seem to happen subconsciously, but how do we know what we're thinking on a subconscious level? Is it us realizing what we're creating is what we're thinking subconsciously, or is there another way to know what we're thinking on that level? That's a wonderful million dollar question. I remember wrestling with that way back and I was in poverty, but I was reading all the books and I'd go to free events and listen to the seminars and they were talking about beliefs. And one of the reoccurring things that they said, and this is my answer, is you look at what you have. 
you look at what you're going through because what you have, what you're going through is what you've already attracted. And what you've already attracted is based on your subconscious beliefs. So when we look around and we see the kind of house you're in or the kind of body you're in or the kind of relationship you're in or the kind of bank account you're in or kind of health you're in or kind of spiritual evolution place that you're in, then you can ask yourself, what beliefs might create this reality? And that's what I was wrestling with. I remember when I was in Houston, I lived in a god-awful dump. It was one room in a house, and the room had the toilet and the kitchen and the TV all in the same room. And I barely could pay the $200 a month. I often was behind, scraped. It was really, really tough times. And I'd sit in the middle of that, that room thinking to myself, what the hell am I believing that would create this? And there would be beliefs that would surface. And this is a common belief. I don't deserve better. I don't deserve good things. I have found that this is a running belief across populations and cultures. And I've been to so many different countries. I've, I've seen this firsthand. Most of us are brought up thinking that we are not good enough that we're lacking in some way, shape, or form, that we're not likable, that we're not lovable. In some way, we're not enough. And so to a various degree, we create our own suffering because we don't think we deserve better. Now, part of my struggle was I had all the, the beliefs about being a writer. I had to struggle, being creative, I had to struggle. And then you add on the beliefs about money. Most people think money's bad or at least money's evil. And of course, none of those are true. But as long as you feed it as a subconscious belief, it's going to be created in your 3D reality. And I was creating it. So I invite people to look around their room in their life and consider it a mirror. And it's a mirror to what's in the subconscious mind. And maybe even get out pen and paper and start jotting down the different beliefs that come to mind, not really judging them. Just let them come up so you can look at them. Because again, these beliefs aren't in the conscious mind. We're not consciously thinking, I'm going to struggle or I'm going to be ill. But subconsciously, we have a whole lot of beliefs and paradigms and limitations, most of which we inherited and never looked at. So pretending that your world is a mirror to what's inside your brain can be very useful and illuminate what's going on. Do you have any advice for someone listening to this that may not have the hyper-consciousness in a sense that we're you know, discussing here in regards to the results coming from what we're thinking subconsciously versus them just thinking, hey, these are the cards that I'm dealt? Yeah. The, uh, well, first of all, thinking these are the cards I'm dealt is a limiting belief. Okay. This is all part of victim mentality. And I say it firsthand because I thought the same thing. You know, mm. I went through the whole period of saying, this is how it is. This is how I am. This is what I'm destined to be. I'm going to be destined to be homeless, destined to be in poverty, destined to struggle until you realize that's all. I want to swear to, to shake people and just say, that's all limiting thinking. That's all programming. That's all from past scarcity thinking that was passed on. There is so much evidence today that is proving we have next to no limitations. I mean, even scientists like Bruce Lipton talking about our DNA and saying that we're not destined to have a certain biology, that we actually turn off and turn on our DNA molecules with how we're thinking. And scientists, and I've spoken on stage with this guy, Dr. Joe Dispenza, brilliant man. I love his book, You Are the Placebo, because he's telling us that 
what you're thinking is what you're creating, but you're not really realizing it because you're thinking of it on a below conscious level. And yet, because it's what you believe, you're creating almost a placebo effect, which is pretty real. And the reality you're going through can be very limiting, can be very much a struggle, but you've created it. So anybody who thinks that this is just the cards I've been dealt is buying into a limitation. Mm -hmm. I remember I saw uh, the actor Morgan Freeman on TV. And it was a short clip that I just stumbled across. It was so brilliant because he was talking about it does not matter who you are and where you were born. And it's very easy for people to go and blame their circumstances, blame their environment, blame their parents. And he basically and very bluntly said, man, the bus leaves town every day. Meaning you can escape whatever the hell you think your prison is. So I have a tough love approach sometimes, mostly because I've been through this. And sometimes I think people need jarred or shock. And I just say, no, you're giving in to what you believe are the limitations. And the limitations are a mirage. They're an illusion. They're not real. In regards to the storms, we were talking about, you know, going through storms, having to go through more storms, having been through storms. What's your advice to someone that may be listening that is going through a storm right now to see brighter days ahead? Well, that's a great question too, because you don't know this, but the last three years have been pretty close to the worst of my entire life. And I've already talked about homelessness, which was decades ago and poverty, which was decades ago. So what the hell happened? Well, I filed for divorce about three years ago and I thought it would be easy and effortless because I was basically giving everything to the ex. I just was going to walk away. Nope, that wasn't accepted. She created a persecution of my life, life and business that threw me into a theater of justice that was incomprehensible, that was badgering, that left me in agony agony virtually every single day. During the same process, which became expensive and emotional and exhaustive, I developed a relationship with a, a person who developed neuro-Lyme disease. And she was basically on her beth deathbed. And I was taking care of her while going through this persecution slash divorce and trying to unravel the mystery of how do you solve this? How do you end this? During the same time, my father died. My best friend dies. A family member attempts suicide. I mean, this is this is excruciating. It's amazing. There were days I could barely get out of bed. It hurt so bad. And then a pandemic comes. And the pandemic affects all of us in one way or the other. For me, it wiped out my travel, my biggest income, my appearances on stage. I had been to Iran right before it and Russia and Ukraine. Then everything stopped. It's gone. And that's my biggest income stream. So there were days that I did not want to keep going. There were days when I honestly felt so bleak, so down that I would welcome death. Just, just end it all. Between the regret, the remorse, the guilt, the confusion, the agony, and then, in my case, pile on the reality that I was beating myself up because here I am, the law of attraction guy, the self-help guy, the guy who was in the secret, the guy who's written all these books to help other people going through his own shitty hell. So I'd get up and I'd make an Instagram video that's very upbeat and inspiring, big smile on my face and post it right after it, probably in tears. So what did I do? First of all, I went to the ancient Stoics. Something said that the Stoics went through far worse things than I ever went through. And if you go back to ancient Rome and 2000 some years ago, they went through things that were despicable. They're almost unimaginable. And then they lived in fear. They never knew what 
famine was going to hit, what virus was going to hit, what army was going to hit. They just lived in absolute knee-buckling fear, and they had to find ways around this. Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, these guys who are considered the poster boys of Stoicism, thanks to Ryan Holiday, they gave me comfort. I remember Marcus Aurelius had written, and he wrote this to himself, if you can endure it, then endure it and stop complaining. And I'd look in the mirror and go, okay, can I endure it? And I'd say, I sure as hell don't want to, but I can't. Well, if you can, buck up. And then I would think to myself, one day at a time, it's all fine. I don't have to wrestle with this lasting years because I didn't know it would last years. And I don't have to think about tomorrow. Handle today. Be very much in the moment. And Seneca, who, who has become my invisible buddy these days, he had said at one point, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, you have the power of choice. You can choose. You can choose to make it seem hard or easy or even humorous. And I remember chewing on that, saying, what? Because he, he used the word specifically, seem. You can make it seem. He didn't say it was. He just said you can make it seem, which suggested viewpoint, perspective, hard, easy, or humorous. And I thought, I'm looking at this divorce slash persecution. Definitely, I can see it as hard. I said, it fucking is hard. Then I can see possibly as easy. That's a mind shift. And I started to think, well, I got a lot of people supporting me. I got attorneys and I got accountants and, you know, I got people that are like my soldiers. They're my gladiators. They're running in front of, front of me. And in fact, they do all the talking. I don't have to do anything but sit there and sweat or stew or laugh. And then Seneca said, or amusing. That one was harder to get to. <laughs> but I thought he's reminding me I have a choice. And then besides all of this is all of this is my answer to your question. One day I was in the office with one of the attorneys and I said, look, you guys, this is your life. This is your livelihood. You do this all the time. I said, for me, this is killing me. This is excruciating. This is not helping me. I said, what's the best advice you ever heard for going through a tough time, like a divorce? And the one attorney thought and looked off and then said, focus on the future focus on the future. Don't wallow in what's going on right now. Don't regret what already happened in the past. Focus on what, what do you want to create? And that was a spark of light for me. And it also was a reminder of my very own teachings. What do we want to create? What's our intention? Where do we want to go? It's taking back our power and doing what we can with what we have. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt's quote ended up being great to me. Do what you can with what you have right where you are. Mm. All of this is in the way of answering your question. What do you do during tough times? Now, first and foremost, I want to just express my gratitude for the vulnerability. That does not sound like an easy time whatsoever, and I can't even imagine it. I haven't experienced much of that whatsoever. So again, just thank you for being vulnerable. And my first question to all of that is, what does the process of forgiveness look like through the range of emotions and experiences you had? Meaning, you not only had to forgive you know, on the human level, but I'm sure potentially even on a divine level, because I mean, you know, that, that, that's a lot to deal with. So I'm <laughs> curious, what did forgiveness look like for you? Yeah, you're good at asking these big questions. Well, I, I want to be raw 
and transparent because I'm hoping that that will help other people that are listening. So there were times where I was mad at God. Now you had mentioned how you were brought up. I was brought up Catholic and it took me most of my life to get over it. But because of that bring upbringing, I believed in this God that they had taught me. And so when I'm pushed into the dirt and I'm looking around for help, I look for the God that I heard about when I was a kid. Right. Well, that God was silent. That God was mute. And that God turned his back on me, or at least that's what it felt like. And I shook my fist at God. And I mean, literally, I stood in the, I was living in an apartment with my new partner at one point, which was another massive shock to the system because I lived on an estate, which I had built up and had all of these wonderful things, including, well, don't need to go all the way down there. But anyway, I, I actually stood in the apartment shaking my fist at God and mad, like, where the fuck are you? Where are you? And so that was all part of the inner work I had to do and process to get to the point where God wasn't helping and God wasn't hurting. The things that were happening were stemming from my own choices. And this was very freeing because it made me feel like, well, I'm not being punished and I'm not being persecuted, not by some divine being in the sky or anywhere for that matter. It was coming from my own choices. I'm the one who chose to file for divorce, and my ex chose to create a persecution. I chose to get attorneys. There begins a war of sorts in the theater of the court. And all of that is being handled and decided by men and women. This has nothing to do with God. God's pretty much set up the playing field and said, go do what you want to do. If you guys want to do a divorce, you want to go in court, you want to do all of this uh, back and forth, but you got free will, go do it. Have fun. I'm just going to (laughs) watch. I set up the theater for you. Now I'm going to sit back and watch the show. Mm. So I had to let go of blaming God. Then the next level was blaming myself. And that was, that's taken all the way up to, you know, three minutes ago, more or less. I saw an interview with George Clooney and said that he had been brought up Catholic. And whenever he had done something that he considered wrong, as he was taught, he would get on his upper bunk bed, put rocks in his shoes and jump down so that the rocks would hurt his feet. And it was his form of self-punishment because he hadn't forgiven, forgiven himself. And David Letterman was interviewing him. And David Letterman said, when did you stop doing that? And George Clooney said last week. So he was still doing the struggle for forgiveness. And I know that feeling because the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Always. Yeah, that's the hardest one. Now, I just posted a video on Instagram today about a man who had deeply influenced me, who has just recently passed. Dr. Hu Lin had taught me the spiritual technique of Ho'oponopono, which is a whole nother show and a whole nother conversation. But at essence, Dr. Hu Lin was teaching that the divine, but his word for God, the divine, the great something, God, whatever you want to call the great mystery, it only wants us to know that we are love. It's not the one judging us. We are the ones judging us. And in order for us to get to any peace, we have to let go of that judgment. I remember I did counseling over this. I've done phenomenal reading in this area. I've done meditations. I've done the Ho'oponopono that I just mentioned. All of that was to try to unhook this lack of forgiveness, the self-punishment. And when I realized that it was hanging around because it's my reminder not to do it again, and I told myself, wait a minute, I got the lesson. In one of my books, The Attractor Factor, I had said, when you get the lesson, you no longer need the experience. 
when I got the lesson that, oh, this has been self-punishment, partly because I thought I needed it, and partly to remind me, don't do this again. Don't, don't do, you know, filing for divorce and blah, blah, blah. Do things differently. And I went, I got that. I got that. Then it began to leave. Right. But that's, it's been a long ordeal. I'm sure. Now, something just comes to mind when having this discussion, and I experience it personally, and I'm sure many people do. I'm curious, with all the turbulence you were enduring over the course of the past three years, and maybe at other times in your life, do you feel that things that you've already overcame in life try to seep back in? So maybe that be you know negative habits or whatever it could be. Does, does that question make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I'm glad that you asked it because the rule of thumb is once you have completed erasing a limiting belief, it never returns okay. ever. And so I would say, no, there was no old habit or old way of being that showed up again. And I would okay. say that because for, I didn't experience it, but I would say that because the way the self-healing works is that once you're truly done with something, it's gone. Yeah. In fact, usually you don't even remember ever having it. It's so gone. The memory is even fading. So I would say, no, I, that was gone. But whatever, right. whatever was there. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. And again, thank you again for the vulnerability and transparency. I know I only got you for a couple more minutes. I'm curious. I mean, I asked you a plethora of questions here and I have a plethora of more, but I'm going to respect the time. <laughs> I'm just curious, what's, what's a question you wish more people would ask you? You know, that's interesting because that's the question I ask people when I interview them. Mm-hmm. I have my own TV show now. It's online at Zero Limits Living, and I put up a website, ZeroLimitsLivingTV.com. And when you watch the episode, you'll see more often than not, at the very end, one of my questions is, hey, you've been doing lots of interviews. What's a question you wish I or somebody would ask you? So... I'm proud of you. Okay, so I'm going to take on the question. What's the question I wish you would ask me? Well, typically people ask me what my latest books are or latest programs or latest music or latest movies or something along those lines. My two latest books, I've got them sitting right here. The Abundance Paradigm just came out, Moving from the Law of Attraction to the Law of Creation, and then Karmic Marketing. Karmic Marketing is really my, my secret to building an empire. Karmic marketing is the idea of giving. It's giving without expectation of return to wherever you gave it, but expecting it to come from the great something, from the universe. That's karmic marketing. So that, you know, that comes to mind. I love that. I love that. I'm going to make sure the links to those books and all the other projects, websites, socials, all that good stuff will be in the show notes for sure. What's a piece of advice you received, but you didn't want to hear it at the time it was given to you? Mm. Wow. That's a great question. What's a piece of advice I received, but didn't want to hear it. I remember that's a great question because I didn't even remember this occurrence when I was still struggling. I was coming out of poverty. I was living in Houston. I was married. I was doing slightly better and I was befriending some people that were pretty noteworthy. And there was one guy who had a small oil company. He had discovered oil on one of his properties. He ended up being rich. He was very well read. He really liked me. He saw something in me. So he was very supportive of me. And he heard me complain a lot because I was struggling. I was trying to get published, make a name for myself, earn money. I think I needed a car and I was scrambling and this, that, and the other. And I remember him saying, 
you need to add more stress to your life. And I looked at him like, you are nuts. <laughs> I can't handle the stress I have. Have you not been listening to me? And he said, he even repeated it. You need to have more stress in your life. You need to do more things. And it was incomprehensible. I still got whiplash. I still remember not being able to process that. And I was not able to accept that until years had gone by, years. And I found myself in the thick of a very busy life, especially after the movie The Secret came out in 2006. I was already making a name for myself as a early internet pioneer and a copywriter. And people were noticing me and hiring me and asking me to speak. And then the movie, The Secret Hits, and oh my God, there's an explosion on the planet. And my name is being sent to the globe and being sent to outer space. They're going to find a plaque on Mars when they get there. It's like, we're waiting for Dr. Joe Vitale <laughs> because the movie did so much. And then the ridiculous activity, all the shows, all the book deals, more movies, this, that, and the other. And I would say the stress level was off the charts. So right. my old friend back in Houston, who was saying add more stress was correct, but I could not accept it for another maybe 10 years. Mm, I love that. Last question for you, Dr. Joe. If you hop on as many podcasts as you want, you live to whatever age you want to live to, as many stages, write as many books, so on and so forth, but you could only be remembered for one thing. What would that one thing be? I want to be known as a man who inspired people to go for and get their dreams. Mm. I'm here. I think that's part of the mission we talked about earlier. I'm here to create things that inspire people, to inspire them to live their best life and to achieve their highest ideals. I love that. If I could be known for that, that's an amazing accomplishment. That's a beautiful thing. You most definitely pursued that right here on this show. So Dr. Joe, I want to say thank you again, express our gratitude as mentioned all socials, projects, books, et cetera, et cetera, is in the show notes of this episode. So thank you again for joining us. I loved it. Anytime you want to do it. You have just listened to episode number 231 right here on the Decoding Success Podcast with your host, Matt Labrie, and our very good friend who joined us today, Dr. Joe Vitale. You now know how deep this conversation got. We were talking about soul talk, just like that show Soul Train back in the day. I don't think I was allowed to watch that, but I'm allowed to talk about the soul talk right now. I'm allowed to talk about that soul talk. So with that being said, if there's someone in your life that you believe will benefit from the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the education, this type of conversation, if you know someone in your life that will benefit from it, I'm going to urge you one last time to make sure that you are sharing it. Also, you could check out Dr. Joe in all forms, social media, websites, books, all of that good stuff is in the show notes of this episode. And one last thing before I let you go here, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to urge you, urge, urge, urge you to smash, to hit that subscribe button because each and every Wednesday we are bringing that fire to your ears through this platform and we want you to be a part of it. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.